0: Inspired by the words of Mahatma Gandhi Who lived for peace and not violence And told us to be the change we wish to see in the world
1: Freedom's calling, enough feel the fire to deep inside us
0: Boom shakalaka ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters around the world It is your boy Chris Hill, a.k.a. the Esoteric Noetic, a.k.a. the Chocolate Nubian Soul Brother This is the podcast this is the first podcast I've done this year And boy has it been one crazy year We had the bushfires Back in January, then we've had this pandemic, which is is causing uh, an absolute nightmare here in Australia. It's, uh, it's made a lot of people question whether or not uh, this system was broken already, you know? Um, I mean, I've, I've been watching a lot of the things that have been going on, and the government pull out all of these laws, and I'm thinking to myself, has this always been around, or or is this something new? I mean, is this the country that we live in? I mean isn't Australia supposed to be the country where we are young and free? Well it doesn't seem as if we're so free at the moment, right? And it seems as if the government has been exploiting uh the people under this uh this uh this idea of security to keep everyone safe and uh anyway, we're going to get into this. I have Mark Donadue here. Mark Donadue is is an amazing researcher. He is the director of World Vegan Day. Uh he's he's the president of VegVic. He's been involved in a lot of amazing things, a lot of activism, has a tremendous amount of knowledge to do with health. Uh, and as you can see uh, from many books that he has behind him, Mark is definitely well-researched. I've been watching a lot of his uh, his content. Um, Mark has been tirelessly sharing information in regards to what's been going on in the field of health, in the field of uh, many things. And uh, I, I always find it a pl- a pleasure having a conversation with him, as he has a lot of insightful things to share. So I really wanted to get him on my my podcast to talk about some of the things that we've been facing over the last uh, so so months. So, uh, Mark, uh, if there's anything you wanted to add to your introduction, by all means. Um, how are you doing, buddy? And how are you how are you feeling about Hi. the recent events?
1: Well, well, thanks for having me on, uh, Krishna. It's a real pl- pleasure to be uh, part of your uh, podcast, um, the second time that I'm on. So uh, thank you for having me and uh, and yeah, how I've been, I've been been great. Um, look, the situation around me has been interesting, to say the least, in 2020. It's been a very interesting year with uh, so many draconian laws being implemented. Um, this pandemic that has been, in my view, overblown in terms of its uh, seriousness, to say the least. And I'll have evidence to, to, to show to back that up in a minute. But um really the most disappointing thing, I guess, is the reaction that people have had to this this whole situation, that they haven't really questioned what's going on. They haven't questioned whether this lockdown is the best thing for everybody. And we've already seen more deaths because of suicide than we have for COVID-19 deaths um, so far in this country and in, in the United States. So you'd have to say that um, overall, that our reaction to this situation has been less than perfect. And and I think that as a human race, if we're going to move forward, we need to take our own responsibility for our lives in our own hands rather than giving it in the hands of other people. Absolutely. That... Absolutely. Yeah. You
0: mentioned just a, a moment ago before we started this uh, this podcast that ignorance and fear are, are two things that always lead to a lot of trouble. And I think because there is so much misinformation out there, we do find ourselves in this um, really treacherous situation at the moment. And I'm going to let you talk about your, your thoughts on this virus and how serious it is, because I, I realize that the, the most important question right now is is not... I mean, there are certain people, and this is something that happens in every topic. You always have different sides preaching different things. And on one side, we have the government saying that this is an ex- extremely serious uh, virus. It's the people that are saying that it's it's nothing more than a, a, a flu or completely insane. We need to do everything as far as locking people up in their homes for 18 months, and now it's gotten to the point where uh, there are certain apartments that are essentially under martial arrest. I mean, they're not able to leave their homes now. I mean, it's that serious to the point where they f- they think that we may we may never go back to normal unless, of course, we get a vaccine, and then you hear this talk about mandatory vaccines. And then there are other people that are saying that this is nothing more than a common cold and people are blowing this out of proportion, and as you're aware, I'm sure, there are certain people some that are on the fringe that are saying that this virus doesn't even exist. Like David Icke and and many other proponents of this. So there is a lot of information out there and I I guess most people uh, don't have the time to sit through it all, so they listen to the mainstream news. So back to you, Ma. what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think this virus is even real to begin with? Do do you think it's worth us looking at as seriously as as we are? What's your thoughts on the danger?
1: Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, uh, there's a number of questions in that. The first one is, is there a virus? Well, by our current definition of what viruses are, which uh, is dead RNA uh, fragments, then uh, then yes, there is a new expression of that around. So technically, yes, there is. And But before, before we go any further, we need to, to bear in mind that every year we have different strains of coronaviruses that are present. And coronaviruses, when you have a look at them, at their structure, are very similar to what we call exosomes which are produced by the body in response to a pollution or an environmental toxin or something that's in our environment that is harmful to us and when we're in fear we also express these as well so we are certainly seeing that and um, and there's a lot of debate about whether viruses and exosomes are the same thing or whether they're different or uh, or whether their expressions are the same thing. So, um, But one, one thing's for certain that there is a new expression of, um, of a virus this year, which they've called SARS-2, which leads to the d- disease that they're calling, which is the current coronavirus. So in order to sort of answer you know, how serious this is, I, I thought I'd actually start from the beginning and where this first came, which was in, in Wuhan in China. And as it happens, I was in China from late January all the way to mid-February, right at the epicenter of the the big uh, epidemic when all the numbers were soaring and had record numbers of uh, reported cases and all that sort of thing. And I was looking at it from then and I was collecting data then, which I think is very, very interesting to maybe just share with your audience. So if I may, just just try sharing the screen at the moment. Make this as
0: informative as as we can.
1: Yeah, and, and what I'll do is I'll... Bring up a, right, Just one moment.
0: Uh, I'm just going to uh, move to the screen so that people can see this. Okay. There we go.
1: All right. Okay. So, look, I, I was in uh, China, as I was saying, in that period, and uh, there's some photos of me there. And and I was looking uh, and tracking all of the the different uh, reported uh, infections and deaths. What I know, noticed was Hubei, as you can see from this uh, information here, uh, had the lion's share of the infections, way way more, and also way more deaths. It's like it had you know about 98% of the deaths were basically in this Hubei area. Now where I was staying in Shanghai, there, there was hardly any infections by comparison, and very very little deaths. So. So I, I sort of wondered why that is, and uh, and then I, you know, by by looking at some interesting data, that the the results become very obvious. Now, if you have a look at this, you can see that uh, back in two thousand nineteen, th- there was a report that was talking about air pollution and how bad it was in Wuhan, and how uh, China has made uh, major progress, um, and that there were, were protest international protests being made about the air quality. Now, Wuhan is like the industrial center of China, in terms of the area where they have industrial incinerators, they also have a lot of intensive agriculture where they're using Roundup as their their prime uh, fertilizer, which is a was originally patented as an antibiotic and has done much dis- destruction uh, to, uh, to to plants as well as to uh, to humans and, and insects and and, and our, our microbiome and. It just so happens that that's the epicenter of this, and, and and we've known about this even going back a number of years. This was in two thousand and fourteen that uh, they declared a the premier declared a war on pollution, and uh, where a few hundred residents in the city of Wuhan in China took it as a cue and they started protesting. So this is not a new thing that Wuhan has had a lot of pollution issues. Okay. So so what's happened since since then? Well, you know what's interesting is that. Uh, since they they shut down everything uh, for a couple of months, there were studies coming out of of many uh, places like Stanford University saying that they're actually going to save 77,000 lives just by the fact that the the pollution has been reduced. Just quite an extraordinary thing. There's another study there, you know, saying that the same thing, you know, up between fifty and and 75,000 people. And if you look at the air pollution um, in 2019 for the comparative time during the lockdown, during 2020, you can see the air pollution is has cleared up dramatically. That's a, that's a so,
0: huge change, yeah. That's yeah, one good and, and thing that's come out of this, right? Well, yeah, yeah, so that's one not, important thing.
1: Okay, there are other places that were reporting this. Now, <laughs> now what about um, Italy? Well, well, guess what? Um, then if you have a look here, Northern Italy is the pollution capital of Northern Europe. The, and they also have huge amounts of glyphosate um, spraying um, and uh, Roundup spraying uh, in that area. They have a lot of farming areas in that Normandy uh, Normandy uh, area. Okay, um, I see where
0: you're going with this. I see where you're going with right. this.
1: And uh, and so um, so you know you, you're seeing that there as well. And um, and and New York is also the pollution capital as well. And they're are the three main centres you know that had that, that. So and when you look at the lungs of, of these people, and uh, and it was interesting looking at the the lungs. Um, that they were showing, and I said that well, this is not an ordinary uh, thing because there's these glassy areas here on these lungs that we don't normally see with pneumonia patients. And, and in China, they were calling it they weren't just calling it coronavirus, they started by calling it coronavirus and they called it um coronavirus pneumonia a uh, novel coronavirus pneumonia because sure, what happened was that initially the patients would have like um breathing difficulties like you would find if you went to Mount Everest when you had altitude sickness where there's not enough oxygen entering into your cells into your tissues and then eventually what happens is uh, that, that's called a uh, hypoxia and then eventually uh, uh, you get inflammation of the lungs and then you get a secondary infection and then you get water in the lungs and that's what you're seeing so they they basically said it was a, like a respiratory kind of illness and yet it, what's interesting is that the comorbidities for this are actually, uh, are different to, uh, to what you would normally expect. That you were finding things like, um, uh, for example, uh, heart disease, uh, diabetes, uh, cancer, um, uh, 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 kidney disease, and, uh, and also um, diabetes. Well, in actual fact, less so cancer, but more diabetes, heart disease, and kidney disease were the, the major comorbidities for this disease which is interesting because they're not respiratory diseases like pneumonia, like uh, asthma, like emphysema. So why were those people more vulnerable? And it seemed that the, the drugs that they were taking were actually causing this particular lack of oxygen, you know, going to the lungs and and what they were doing, um, they were putting people on ventilators. And, and in fact, here, there's a report that basically says that uh, from the American Lung Association um, uh, says in China where 86% of patients in Wuhan placed on res- ventilators died or respirators. So, so what they were doing is they said, okay, there's a lack of oxygen going into the lungs. So what we're going to do is we're going to put people on ventilators or respirators to, uh, to make the, the oxygen go in there. But the thing is, if the original condition wasn't a lung uh, condition per se, and it was say due to cyanide poisoning, which is what happens with pollution, where it, we know the cyanide actually stops oxygen from actually getting into the cells mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that we actually know then a ventilator is not going to help it's going to create more oxidation and more inflammation and then you're going to get those um, secondary infections and then you get fluid on the lungs then a person ends up dying because the, the oxygen isn't binding um, in, into the cells to enter into the bloodstream and uh, and that was the problem now okay. it's not just in, in warhand we're seeing it we're seeing this in new york where and the Italy. majority of uh, 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 people are, are actually uh, having that, that exact problem. Um, okay. So, you know,
0: so, so, if I can just re- recap, just on, I mean, from what I understand, you're saying here, I mean, one of the main reasons that we were seeing so many positive tests in countries like New York, Italy, and Wuhan was the level of pollution. This is this is why the exosomes were were being picked up, and whereas this would obviously explain the high rate of um, people that were being picked up as having the coronavirus. Um, does this also explain the the, the the fact that there were so many people that were dying from this thing as well? I mean, uh, assuming that people weren't necessarily, um, I, I mean, it wasn't just about the test, let's say people, I mean, in Italy, one of the things that I very clearly remember seeing was so many people, so many elderly people that were dying of this thing, uh, and uh, is this yeah. is this also related to the level of pollution that was in Italy?
1: Yeah, look, look, look absolutely. You've got another thing. Well, um, I'll, I'll just remove the slide also showing that nine in 10 people on, on, uh, in New York on a ventilator were dying as well. But, but basically, um, uh, in Italy, uh, it's interesting because uh, I'll, I'll actually uh, show you some, uh, some studies that, that actually uh, point to the fact that, number one, they've got the, uh, the oldest uh, population in, in Europe. And, and in fact, what you're actually seeing in, in Italy. If I can just bring up this, uh, the data on Italy, it's, uh, it's actually quite fascinating here. Nearly close to 99% of dying um, have other causes that may have contributed to their demise. This is from Dr. Ioannidis uh, from Stanford University looking at the data. He said, it's very difficult to dissociate and say that these people specifically died because they were infected. It was very likely that many of them would have died anyhow, if not immediately within a short period of time because of these other causes of death uh, that they had. And, and, and it's interesting because they also have uh, uh, a, a situation where the European Union has been forcing Italy to a situation where they're having to cut spending on hospitals. And, and they've been closing hospitals and wards for, for many years. And in fact, they had an overwhelm back in the 2017 flu season where, where you know, there, were, there were too many patients and not enough hospital beds. And so what we're actually seeing is no different than what we saw in 2017 it's just that now it's been reported, you know, as this uh, COVID uh, situation. And in fact, um, it's interesting that um, just even recently, the um, uh, the, the Chief Director of Health over there in Italy said that 88% of the the COVID cases uh, are are really cases where they've died with the COVID-19, not because of COVID-19. So it's it's very, very different uh, sort of scenario. And, okay. uh, and that's what you're, Mark, you're I'll just switch say. back
0: to your actual face here, away from the information, yeah, just so yeah. that p- people can see, uh, well, can see your, your lovely face there. But I I understand the gist of what you're saying. That fundamentally, correct me if I'm wrong. What we're seeing now is no different to what we've been seeing in previous years. And the reason that there've been such high levels of uh, supposed deaths from COVID in Italy, New York and Wuhan is because of the level of pollution. And whereas I, I can understand that because I feel like so much of what we see as being dangerous is based off of what we're exposed to in the media. I mean I know for, for a fact that if I wasn't exposed to what was been what was what's been going on over the last six or so months on T V and hearing about it, I certainly would have noticed anything different here in, in Melbourne, Australia. And I'd imagine that the same would apply if I was living in China or uh, Italy or New York. So I understand the argument there, but um, I I guess uh, I guess the question is the I mean one of the things that I keep hearing over and over again is that the reason the coronavirus is so dangerous um, in comparison to other viruses it's is its level of uh, of, of of how can it's due to how contagious is it, it is apparently the R naught is supposed to be extremely extremely high and because it has the potential to be such a, a danger to so many people, we're looking at this very differently because this is an unknown virus. So I, I guess a huge part of this is the unfamiliarity with this virus that's that's led to governments having the drastic measures that they're supposedly uh, applying. I mean, this is the reason that they, they come up with. So what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think this virus is any different to uh, anything else that we're seeing or it's it's just something that's that we generally see every single year, like another flu epidemic?
1: Well, well, what, what's interesting is this, that normally we don't go around testing so many people for seasonal flu, for example, like, like we do now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if we go back to um, Dr. Ioannidis, um, if, we, if we maybe just share, share this particular screen, um, okay. you, you'll, you'll see that um, what he actually says on here is that the, after they did a test, they, they tested 400,000 people in Santa Clara in California. And they actually found that a lot more people had the COVID-19 than they previously expected, which also meant that the death rate was far, far lower now because more people have got it than we think. So by definition, it's less dangerous than we thought. And so they're actually saying that we now have data that the infection fatality rate is much, much lower compared to our original expectations and fears. And I think there is no reason to fear, we should avoid panic and take rational steps to deal with the situation, hopefully even up open up our society again with careful gradual steps. This thing is not going to kill you. It doesn't seem to have a higher chance of killing you than the seasonal flu for each person that is infected. And in fact, if you look at the um, the, the Australian figures, yeah, you'll see that we have 106 deaths for COVID-19, and yet um, only uh, 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 we had 902 with a seasonal flu. So it, it was a lot worse with the seasonal flu. So um, so we we are basically overestimating a, a situation that we shouldn't be. Uh, That concerned about, and uh, and that's what we're actually seeing. So it's a far less uh, death rate, and in fact, people don't realise this. But uh, we've had flu seasons um, where, um, yeah, and actually, I just brought the wrong one there. Um, I'll just bring up a a USA um, newspaper article that actually showed how many people were actually dying of the seasonal flu just a, a number of years ago. And um, and and it was uh, it, it was quite stagnant. There were, there were like fifty, uh, 60,000 people that died of the seasonal flu, and that and that doesn't get reported very very often. Here here it is. There eighty thousand people died of the, the flu last winter, and this was in two thousand talking about the two thousand seventeen flu season. Here we are. Flu killed sixty five thousand people, and but we don't seem to care. Uh, eighty thousand Americans died of the flu last winter. Get your flu shot. Here's the uh, the caption. So so what you're seeing is that it, it's something that happens every year and there are millions and millions that are infected, but we don't normally report it or nobody makes a big deal about it. The amount of media coverage that we've had on this is literally thousands and thousands of times more than what we had with SARS and Ebola and Zika, the, the swine flu, the bird flu, and all of these. And in every case, they made these great overestimations of how Dangerous it was, and and how many millions of people will be killed? That's what they said. You know, even you know, with the uh, the, the swine flu, millions would die. The bird flu, millions would die. And in actual fact, it wasn't the case. Millions didn't die from these uh, these illnesses um, and, and the, these viruses. And um, and so, uh, so what you're actually seeing is an overblowing of that. And in fact, uh, Neil Ferguson was the person who made these uh, computer models. You know, for these previous. Uh, um, uh, outbreaks, and he was severely wrong on all of them. And he's the person that we were relying on this time to also give us estimates of how dangerous this flu is. And it's on those computer models, which have been proven to be vastly inaccurate, that they've uh, basically implemented government policy across the world uh, mm-hmm. to lock down populations. Which sure. is insane. Well, Which brings to well, me
0: to the question, why do you think that the government is reacting so harshly to this? Do you, A, believe that they truly believe that this is a dangerous virus that we need to protect the the population from, or do you think there is some kind of hidden agenda? Because there are definitely a lot, I mean, conspiracy theorists, right, if anyone has a conspiracy theorist friend, you probably would have noticed they've been going crazy sharing posts in regards to what's going on. because. I, I I personally do subscribe completely to what you're saying. It does seem like I think any person that's rational realizes that this is a disproportionate reaction to something that doesn't seem. I mean, 99% of people recover, um, and that that's being moderate from this uh, from this virus. Full full recovery, but nonetheless, we're seeing these measures that seem so outlandish, these draconian measures. People being I mean, I mean, as I just mentioned, there are there are suburbs now uh, that are in lockdown. There are, I mean, all of Victoria is in lockdown, and there are apartments where people aren't a- able to leave the building, and we're having laws passed that completely disrespect this idea of freedom that Australia is supposed to have at least some modicum of. And I mean, worries I think a lot of people are inclined to think that. Uh, the, this there's this is um this is perhaps alluding to something else at hand. I mean, why do you, why do you think that the government is behaving like this? What what are your thoughts in regards to this anyway? By the way, Mark, before well, you uh, go, on, can do you mind if you can put your screen to the the main screen? I'm I'm actually able to see both my uh, screen oh. and yours in one of there. If we, if we can just keep it on like a person to person kind of a okay. visual All basis, right. that would be great.
1: Let let me stop sharing the screen. Okay okay yeah there we so go well, all right
0: okay so um, back to the the question at hand because this is where we get into the juicy stuff where, where it gets a little conspiratorial here because look we've established i think quite rationally speaking that the reaction that the government is having to this does seem to be extreme even for something that we're, we're not familiar with um b- particularly the, the measures that the being that have been passed i mean and a lot of people think that They have this model of how government is supposed to work, that it's supposed to be democratic, that the idea, and this is not just something that applies to the United States. This is something that applies to pretty much all Commonwealth nations that are supposed to believe in the idea of democracy with respect for freedoms. And they have this idea that the government can't do certain things, right? That we live in this country where we obviously have our civil rights. But what we've seen over the last few months is the government just circumventing all of these laws and saying that, well, um, based off of, it's usually under the guise of national security, and you'd think that there's, there'd be something in the law to prevent people from, uh, prevent the government from doing this, but they just changed these laws. I mean, uh, we, we constantly see governments passing these new measures where they're able to, and there, there was something that was recently just passed in April where the government now is, is able to detain people and forcibly test them and forcibly vaccinate them. If they are deemed to be a threat, this very subjective idea, and a lot of people are saying this is a serious threat, but at the end of the day, uh, if you're the government, you can call anything a threat. So I, I guess what I'm uh, what I'm bringing this whole thing to is, do you think that there is some kind of a uh, conspiracy in regards to the government wanting to have more powers to to perhaps bring th- bring in more measures um, to to control people, to vaccinate them? What do you think? What do you think the whole end game is in regards to this uh, this epidemic that we're seeing or no, look, as I like to say it, look,
1: it looks as though the, the government in this country and the United States and others have reacted differently than the other people uh, other other countries have reacted now for example there were, there were four countries that didn't enter the shutdown uh, like Thailand for example and they experienced only 0.08 deaths per uh, 100,000 people you got Japan, 0. 0.44 deaths. Um, Belarus, 1.18. And Sweden was the worst of them, 28.75. But that's nowhere near what you're seeing in, the, in America, where it, it's like three or four times that. So the, the, the question is, why did shutting down in those countries not create any negative effects? And, uh, and, and yet, we are still locking down people in Australia, where we've also got this tiny, tiny death rate that's attributed to COVID-19. So the only logical explanation that you could possibly have is why they're doing this is because they want to introduce other measures and, um, and they're getting us used to what they're calling the new normal. And if mm-hmm. you have a look now, you see that that's language that's being used quite a lot by a lot of journalists and people like that. And they're saying, well, we're going to have to get used to the new normal. Well, yeah. we're going to have to have a tracking device. It's going to, we're going to have to have contact tracing, you know, mm-hmm. where we're going to trace everybody uh, and things like that um so they want that to be the new normal they they want to keep track of everybody in case there's there's people that um that they uh, don't like uh, who are having meetings and educating people you know on subjects they don't like for example um that, you know they, they've been wanting to introduce a mandatory vaccine for a long time this is mm-hmm. certainly a great way to do that because you know people are in fear and when people are in fear they're more likely to to accept a, a draconian kind of measure like that and you know they've been trying to introduce mandatory vaccines for a while the media always has been pushing this pro you know vaccine agenda if you if you like and um and so now you know is, is the ideal opportunity to be able to implement something like that and so that's the only thing i can think of as why would well, you would do that because it's certainly not dangerous i think that the uh, the statistics are, are showing that and, and in fact, when you look at the the previous five years, you can see that the 2017 uh, uh, flu uh, had uh, was responsible for a lot more li- lives being lost, than, than what we have now. And and in fact, um, you know, the, I, I can even I can share a screen that uh, that actually shows that. Uh, well, we don't need that- to go into the evidence
0: so far because I mean I think it's very clear in regards to what's going on here as far as the the, the seriousness of this virus. It, to me it it just comes down to. I'm trying to understand why the government is reacting like this. And like I completely agree with what you're saying in regards to uh, this be, being a plan to usher vaccines. Because you see, I mean, the main thing that I keep on seeing now, just a few years ago I would debate this topic with my friends, not thinking that we were ever on the verge of having this actually addressed seriously, but it's been spoken of, spoken of as if it's not even a thing now, the idea of forcibly vaccinating people. I mean, we hear presence, you know, people like Fauci, people like Bill Gates, and all of these leaders saying, unless, of course, pretty much everyone gets vaccinated, uh, we're not going to, we're 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 going to have to deal with this new normal. And the goalposts co- are constantly moving. Initially, this thing was about flattening the curve. Do you, do you remember that? The whole, hey, let's keep, we, we got to uh, keep this thing down because, I mean, we don't we don't want to have our hospitals overcrowded. And now it's been more about, oh, we we're in this for the long haul. We got to work together. And even though you may be in an apartment, and uh, we're not allowing you to, to get out. I mean, you kind of have to make the sacrifices because we can't allow this thing to potentially become a, a, a serious threat to everyone. And unless and the, the thing that really got me heated up about this whole thing, because without a doubt, they've definitely been pushing vaccines. This whole thing, regardless of whether you're in Australia or in the United States, it's about getting this vaccine, that vaccine fully administered. And they're saying that this thing is going to be here as soon as maybe mi- mid-next year. I mean, this is what government officials in Australia are, are saying. And We know that it's supposed to take at least a, a a couple of years sometimes in order to get a safe vaccine. So I, the reason I'm harping on this, because I, this thing is the main thing that I keep hearing that people want to use to discredit uh, anyone talking about agendas is this idea of vaccines, that there's nothing to worry about, one, and that the government is not trying to... Uh, uh, is not trying to to control you, but when you see people like Bill Gates pushing this thing, I mean, we we know for a fact that Bill Gates has uh has has been trying to to vaccinate populations and you know whatever. I don't want to speculate in regards to what he's trying to do from this, but we know that he's a big funder of the World Health Organization, the biggest funder. We also know that. Um, I mean, I, I just want to share this. I, I know for a fact that it was just a few weeks before uh, the. World Health Organization, I mean Bill Gates basically decided to uh, to donate a tremendous amount of money to the World Health Organization and then shortly after that was when the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus as a pandemic. So obviously he's obvi- he's influencing their decision and the fact that he has such an invested interest in getting people vaccinated I think this is where this whole thing rests on because I personally don't believe these vaccines are safe and if that is an agenda, if they're we're trying to Get this whole thing administered into the population. I guess the question is whether these vaccines are safe. And uh, I know I kind of jumbled into quite a few things there, but what what are your thoughts on not just whether or not this is the agenda to vaccinate people, which obviously they're 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 trying to push. But do you think do you think that there is any legitimacy to this being an effective way of addressing this uh, this pandemic? What what are your thoughts on the whole vaccine yeah.
1: issue? Well, well, first of all. Um, you know, if, if you're asking, is there an, an agenda to the population? Well, Daniel Andrews basically was asked, uh, "Who's the Premier of Victoria? Um, you know, when are we going to go back to normal?" And he said, "You know, not until we have a vaccine."
0: Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: Bill Bill Gates, you know, in um, in a TED talk in March of 2015, um, you know, was uh, talking about how uh, you know, uh, if if we have viruses. Uh, that could kill 10 million people in the next few decades. You know, we need to vaccinate. And then just recently when he was interviewed, you know, about when we're going to get back to normalcy after this recent lockdown that we've got here in 2020, he says, uh, his famous quote was, things won't get back to normal until we have gotten a vaccine out to the entire world. So you can see that there are certain interests that are pushing this. And you're right, uh, Bill Gates is the single biggest individual funder of uh, the World Health Organization. But he also said in another interview that uh, for every billion he puts in, the countries from around the world uh, put in 20 billion. So it's the best investment that is ever made. And, and in fact, some of the, the the pharmaceutical companies make their most money out of vaccines. And some of them have been struggling to make the profits that they're, they're used to. And uh, when a vaccine comes along, that's certainly a huge windfall. So there's certainly that, that financial um, incentive agenda, and um yeah and uh, and and there is there is perhaps there's other incentives as well and um i mean population control is also an agenda of uh, bill gates as well and, and on the one hand we will tell you that vaccines will save lives and on the other hand well um when the 2010 um, uh, Ted actually said from february the 5th he actually said that through the vaccine Programs and other programs, they expect to reduce the world's population be between 10 and 15 percent. So, which is sure. it? Are the are the vaccine saving lives, or are they just just the probably...
0: caveat to that? Though, because I, I did look into that, and his whole justification was that apparently, uh, these these minority groups are, are going to be disinherited to want to have many children if um if they are if there are uh, these vaccines. There's some kind of logic to that, I, I guess. Um, but he was he definitely in the TED talk openly wasn't trying to imply that he's trying to simply just depopulate the world, but it was just like the uh, the the side effect of um, of administering these vaccines that you're going to see more um, more people being open to uh, to having children because they're not going to worry about them being um, dying of these illnesses or something like that.
1: Yeah, well, the the theory is, I mean, yeah, obviously they had to try and justify that, and one of the things that they say is that the more um, healthy you know that that a family is, and especially financially healthy. Then the less children that they they need to have mm-hmm. uh, to and 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 so that they can be assured that the one or two children that they have will survive. So mm-hmm. you don't need to have so many. That that's a roundabout argument. But really, if you wanted to save lives, and where it's been identified even by a well health organisation, a clean water that isn't uh, full of infectious issue, and then you turn around and you start vaccinating people as though that's your solution, then you have to really question whether. Whether you're addressing the right things, that yeah, are you actually addressing the uh, uh, the 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 biggest uh, problem here, Absolutely. or are you following another uh, agenda? And um, uh, Bill Gates also has a lot of investments in in, in a lot of these uh, pharmaceutical companies as well. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a, a conflict of interest uh, with that. So so we've got to uh, to to look at that, and um, you know there, there is a bit of concern. Uh, about what is actually happening um, with the, the vaccines um, in terms of their safety, because we've had a $10 billion lawsuit of people suing um, the pharmaceutical companies against uh, injuries incurred by vaccines. So, if vaccines are safe, then then why aren't people, you know, talking about that? Why isn't that being fact?
0: Because let's get into this. Because this is going to be the real heart of this discussion. Uh, I mean, as soon as you talk about vaccines, the first thing people co- people say is you're you're anti-vax, as if that's supposed to represent the the issue. And the issue is many things to different people. Uh, I mean, but just specifically in regards to the idea of vaccines just being administered in general. What are your thoughts on this? And uh, I mean, grant, granted, I mean, I understand what you're saying that there are dangerous, and I don't think any any sane medical practitioner denies that there are risks, I think it just comes down to the risk being underplayed. Because the idea is that the risks are so minimal that it's, uh, it's definitely worth forcing these vaccines onto a population because they do so much good. It's one of these uh, cost-risk scenarios. And I'm fine with that if it's a choice, if people get to decide whether or not they have these vaccines. But when it becomes an issue of I'm forcing you to undertake this, or we're not allowing you to work we're not allowing you to travel this becomes a human rights issue then it's it's no longer in the realm of how safe this thing is it's in the realm of what justification do you have to force this substance in put this into my body because this to me is personally this is how I look at it it's complete and utter tyranny so I guess the question is one how safe is it because to me it's not it's not a question of how safe it is regardless of how safe it is I don't believe you can force forcibly inject me with something because I believe that rights are inalienable. I don't believe that people have the right to, or governments for that matter, to decide to put something in your body because of something that might happen. But look, ju- if we can just target the safety issue here, because you raise the point there, there, there are so many lawsuits and the worst thing is in certain countries like the United States, you're not even allowed to, I mean, these pharmaceutical companies that uh, are responsible for these vaccines aren't held liable. I mean, if they were so sure about these, about the efficacy of these vaccines and not, not having any side effects, why wouldn't you be willing to take some kind of liability that would definitely have a long way in convincing me of the of the safety so um anyway i'm i'm sorry to ramble on here but look, look, if you can talk a bit more about the safety of this thing um yeah. how safe well, do you think vaccines are well well, well okay
1: now and at the moment we have a situation where if you want to go into a nursing home um, in uh, victoria that you need to have the seasonal flu vaccine mm-hmm. now Now, the justification for that is that we want to reduce the risk of uh, contracting or spreading uh, the coronavirus. Well, you know, they did a a study that was uh, was published uh, in um, 2019, and uh, they were looking at um, uh, soldiers. uh, And they looked at them in the uh, 2017-2018 flu season. And what they actually concluded was, that the study found that the virus um, interference varied among the vaccinated individuals for individual respiratory viruses and found that for coronavirus in particular, the study showed that those who had been vaccinated with the flu vaccine had a 36% higher risk of contracting it. Okay, so if they've already discovered that by giving people the seasonal flu vaccine, and this was in 2017, 2018, and they uh, and found that it increased the risk of contracting coronaviruses, then why on earth would you do it if you were concerned about uh, making the, the problem better or if you were uh, concerned about trying to uh, improve people's health? Uh, it seems to me that getting the, uh, the, the vaccine makes the, the problem worse. So. On, on that basis, it uh, it really defies all, all kind of uh, logic. And if anyone wants to to check that that study, it's called "Influenza Vaccination and Respiratory Virus Interference Among Department of Defense Personnel During the 2017-2018 Influenza Season." So, um, and that's just one example. I mean, there are lots of cases of people getting sick uh, because of vaccines, and hence those class actions. I um, mean, I don't need to 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 cite all of the. Uh, the conditions and diseases that have been worsened by vaccines, the 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 fact that we've had these lawsuits and that the the courts have uh, have paid them out uh, to the extent that I have, it, it gives you all of, all of the uh, the evidence that you need. Um, Absolutely. Courts...
0: I think this that. is the biggest point because there. I know people that are listening to this. The number one thing I hear is that there is basically an infinite, infinitesimal chance, it's negligible, that you're going to have a negative side effect even though there are these cases. And I find that regardless of what statistics... you I mean, this is the thing about statistics. People will always use statistics in order to make arguments, the way, ways of manipulating that. And because there's this tremendous bias in the media, and I feel most people don't even want to, uh, to do the research. Anytime I even just send a link to people that are... are, are pushing the narrative that they're completely safe. They're like, no, no, I don't want to listen to that. You're an anti-vaxxer. No, I I don't want to watch that. Just to prove the fact that there are people that are going to court over this thing. I think any rational person should understand that, look, if there are are court cases that are being fought over this, that there is some kind of issue here. And if there are people being awarded, it's up to billions of dollars in the United States for uh, injuries. I mean, and worries on one side, I understand that People will always be very weary of information that runs contrary to their worldview to me, I think it, it I think at some point uh here it just it becomes insane. I guess there's so much media bias whether it's um with the perception of what's going on with the coronavirus, whether it's the perception of vaccines, and I think that's really where it's at like information there's this information going on that's why I love having people like you on here to kind of combat that. But um, I, I don't know what I'm sa- saying. I guess um, it's just really difficult to convince people when they have such a, a biased view of or not even wanting to look at contrary information, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, often, you know, when you would have a, an argument with someone uh, about this, you know, they'll say, ha, look at this, see what it says there in the, you know, on Channel 9 News or Channel 7 News or or the As though that's evidence. Yeah. Um, and yet, Audism, on many... Orders, linked
0: orders, it- that's just ridiculous. You know, that's just, no, there's no evidence to support that. Okay, bro well
1: and yet and yet these these media organizations have been on countless examples have been shown uh, to uh, to give a very very distorted and biased view of what's going on and often uh, a, a very uh, will will actually not publish uh, stories that will harm some of their biggest funders and uh, you know you, you look at you know some people say oh well I, you know I, I read The Guardian that's an independent newspaper well Bill Gates is one of the biggest funders of that uh, that uh, newspaper, for example. So, and if, if he's got an agenda that he, he wants to promote vaccines, well, then that, that's the agenda that's going to come through. You know, during the um, than the previous election in the United States in 2016 between Hillary and Trump, uh, both sides of uh, both Republicans and the Democrats, their, their biggest funders wasn't the big banks, like a lot of people would think. Wasn't the big military, the big oil. The- <laughs> and, well, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies were okay. the biggest. Um, uh, uh, funders, and um, so when you've got such a big uh, financial backing, um, and, and there have been many books written on this, that when you have people funding you to, to that degree, that you introduce policies that uh, are, are going to suit those uh, those uh, companies uh, giving you the, the funding. Sure, that's common and sense. Fun. That's
0: human nature for the most part. You know, you, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you, so to speak. And I guess uh that's the biggest problem here a lot of this I mean people speak about freedom of speech, but even in a situation where because we have these platforms we we're speaking about this earlier like YouTube and Vimeo and Instagram where these are essentially private organizations and I, I understand the argument they're funded by the government and so forth therefore there's some kind of coercion going on but for the most part these are private organizations, but when they're censoring all the information and uh, that goes against this narrative I mean just a while ago the World Health Organization was saying that the coronavirus couldn't be contracted uh, to to humans and anyone that was perpetuating anything contrary to that on YouTube was being demonetized because you can't say anything that goes against the 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 scientific narrative of the World Health Organization according to the the YouTube uh, uh, agreements but it's it's crazy because obviously they were wrong and obviously any organization any establishment regardless of how legit they are can be wrong but the question really comes down to whether or not um, there's freedom of speech, so to speak, which is generally how I look at it. It comes down to funding and influence and power and control. And uh, I guess my, the only way that I think you can combat that is with more information, with more—I um, mean, obtain uh, expressing this information through other mediums. You know, not not uh, supporting these establishments that are not in line with what you believe if they're. They're going against... Um, if they're not supporting freedom of speech and, and they're doing this within their own private establishments, which they have a right to do, then don't support that, you know? Of course, it's hard to do when they're, they're the biggest platforms and you need to use them to get your your message out there. But to me, it seems like the only way to really combat this thing is by going off and starting other comp- other uh, alternatives to information and uh, this grassroots approach to, to, to building up a, a community of people. And uh, this is one of the things that I think... Um, a lot of people are starting to do have been trying to do but as you know lately I'm not sure if you've been watching the space but there've been so many big names that have been shut down uh, whether it's David Icke uh, Stefan Molny recently and it's usually people that are putting forth information contrary to this uh this narrative um, that the mainstream is putting out there so,
1: so yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah
0: it's a, it's a tricky situation I know
1: yeah, look, I think even uh, today, Max Max Egan um, had his um, YouTube account deleted and he was critical or, or actually was uh, questioning the official narrative, you know, on uh, on the uh, coronavirus and whether we should have a lockdown and all these things. And, uh, you know, so they deplatformed him. So we don't really have freedom of, of speech anymore. Yeah. Um, you even look at Google, for example, if you were to do a search on some people, for example, that were doctors who were looking at alt- alternative treatments for, for cancer or from uh, for, for many of the conditions that we have drugs for. Uh, 10 years ago, if you did a Google search, you would get their website, you would get their Facebook page, you would get their blogs, you would get other articles from other people sharing their material, you get the studies that they've done, you get all those things, which you would expect. And that's the sort of thing you, you know, you're searching for. But now, um, you you search for the the very same uh, person and you would get you know quack watch this this doctor is a quack you would have come at number one or or this person should be locked up or this person um, is uh, presenting fraudulent science absolutely or that's
0: science. something I wanted to just bring up because because the very reason we're even doing this uh, on on Zoom this is my first time using Zoom is because whereas I initially suggested using I think it was Google uh, Hangouts or something like that, and uh, Skype. I, you, you mentioned that you were a little weary about these uh, these uh, the, these apps because they are obviously owned by big corporations, and their interests not not always aligned with free, freedom of speech, and they censor a lot of this stuff. But the the very notion that, and this is something that I've heard been put out by s- journalists, and it's actually been taken seriously now. This idea that by even putting information contrary to the narrative, now you can be deemed a a, a threat, like a you can actually be imprisoned. I've heard support reporters bringing this idea because, I mean, this, this conversation right now, like the idea of alluding to this, this idea that the, the coronavirus isn't a serious risk and it's not as re- real, I mean, there are people that are legitimately, not just saying, hey, this is ridiculous, which is fine. I'm all about freedom of speech and people having opinions, but they're actually arguing that people should be locked up now. Now you're trying to change the rules of the, of the game. So you can't even win if you're playing by the rules. That's because the rules can always be shifted and you can be made yeah. to be a criminal simply by doing something which has been use- universally accepted as fine. You know, it's like you're a criminal now for walking outside because we said so and because we deem you a risk. I mean, uh, the question I always like to pose is at what level do you think the government is wi- is willing to... Uh, what What's the level here of you being willing to take this bullshit? Like, at what point are you going to say that this is too much. Is it going to be the point where they're telling you that you have to be forcibly tested, forcibly vaccinated? Um, they're they're threatening or they're imprisoning you because you've decided to speak about something? Or is it the point where they're rounding people up and putting them into quarantine camps? Is it the point where they're actually t- going into your homes and, and shooting you because they deem you to be a threat? Like, it's getting... it's A lot of people kind of look at this as being a uh, 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 completely necessary, but it's like this totalitarian tiptoe, as David Ike likes to call it. You know, you slowly start p- doing things that a few years ago would never be considered to be offensive. And now, now we're in the new normal. Now, you know, in a, few, in a few months from now, let's say we get past this second lockdown that we're in, the government decides to just suddenly say, you're all supposed to stay in your homes. If you get out, we're going to shoot you. That doesn't seem like such a crazy thing anymore. And it's been legislated. So now people have been brainwashed to think that it's against the law. It's criminal. And you can't be a criminal because you're a bad person. Even though that's natural, it's normal. If you kind of get what I'm saying, anyway. These are just some of the thoughts that yeah. have, have been simmering in my mind.
1: I mean, it concerns me that there was a um, an article written, uh, I think, from a, a Labour MP uh, just recently in, that was in the Age, that basically said that um, anyone who's got a uh, a dissenting view should should really be silenced. You know, when when it comes to to this uh, this topic, you know, of uh, the, the COVID nineteen or any uh, intended uh, vaccines and and, and and so forth, and uh, whatever happened to our our freedom of speech? I mean, it seems that in, in 2020, it's, it's it's evaporated, and there seems now to be a hate speech.
0: Of... Everything's been verted, You know, uh, I feel like uh, it sounds like some some epic line from some biblical book. You know, the uh, like. Good things have become bad and bad things good, you know, now we live in a world where truth has become falsehood and freedom has become synonymous with evil and tyranny. People that want to go out and experience life are considered to be the, the worst people. But look I, I the kind of the, the kind of podcast this is, I, I definitely I definitely want to um, lift the vibration of the uh, of the world and I, I want to talk about some of the things that we can do in order to well, one, um, improve our health. Perhaps defend ourselves. I mean, for for those that still subscribe to the fact that they, well, this idea that they need to, to to look at this virus seriously. I mean, I know that health is definitely one of your uh, your big uh, fortés, being the uh, the director of World Vegan Day. Um, But what are some things? uh, I mean, do you think that people should do not just limited to health per se, but in general, in order to combat the current situation, if they they do want to have more personal autonomy and they they do want to protect their the physical bodies not just their their livelihoods
1: yeah look that, that's an excellent question look you know if, if you're talking about what we can do about it and, and i think we should focus on some of the positive solutions to this because so far i mean we have talked about you know the, the situation and the and about the negativity and then whatever but uh moving forward we want to see what is within our circle of influence that we can actually do to improve the situation and there's a lot we can do the first one is improve our own health now if you, you look at some of these people who are who are dying and they're very few uh 106 you know covid-19 most of them had a co morbidities that, that mind you the, the person that became a 100th victim was over was 94 years of age and and recently we you know a lot of them are over 80 but um but even so even at that age you have what's called other other conditions or other health issues that can be uh, addressed, where it would make you less likely to, to die or, or have uh, yeah, suffered some of the, the terrible symptoms of, of disease. Now, most people are not aware that the, the food that they're eating has a major effect on their health, and there are many things that we're putting into our body that are harmful. Um, I mean, I, I do many multiple-hour talks just on, on the subject of health, so I'm not going to do that now, But obviously, but um, just to summarise a couple of things. First of all, uh, when it comes to some of uh, some of our um, major comorbidities here with uh, this COVID, uh, things like uh, heart disease. Well, you know, heart disease has been shown to be massively linked with uh, consumption of animal foods, and in fact, not only does it uh, create uh, in- increased cholesterol, uh, it also creates uh, increased inflammation uh, of our arteries, uh, which leads to our biggest killer, you know, which is heart disease. So, you know, we, we could certainly improve that very easily by switching to a whole foods plant based diet. Um, when it comes to diabetes, another uh, uh, factor or comorbidity, well, you know, there was one study that actually showed that uh, you put people on a whole foods plant based diet within 15 days, half of the control group was completely off all of their insulin uh, medication uh, for diabetes completely. And those were people who were diabetics for 20 years uh, plus. Uh, with taking up to 32 shots of insulin a day. Why? Because they found that the animal fat uh, tends to interfere with the ability of the mitochondria, which is the power plant of the cell, to communicate with insulin, which is a hormone, which binds with glucose to, to allow energy into the cell. And, uh, and once you get rid of that animal fat in your diet, you tend to find that you can absorb a lot more sugar into your cells, and then for all intents and purposes, show no symptoms of type two diabetes at, uh, at that stage. And, uh, and that's not really well sh- uh, shared with the public. Very few people realize that the majority of uh, cancers uh, are uh, in many ways improved by switching to a plant-based diet. In fact, there's lots of studies that show that not only are you protected from, from cancers, but also can help improve your likelihood to recover from uh, cancers by being on a plant-based diet. And, and also antibiotics have been linked with cancers of, of many types as well and today people are very liberal with their antibiotics they take them every time they get a cold they take antibiotics they don't realize the harm it's doing to our microbiome our our intestinal gut bacteria in fact i I think it's been estimated that about 90 percent of the world's antibiotics are actually fed to animals which is staggering and so you're consuming animal products you're also consuming huge amounts of antibiotics Mm -hmm. um, and you're doing massive destruction to your your gut bacteria increasing the chances of dying of cancer and then then there's the the whole subject of uh pesticides well you, you look at it the biggest pesticide in the world is called roundup um and uh it was originally patented in 1959 as an antibiotic mm-hmm. and it it's, has an it's antibiotic behind that
0: one as well i believe
1: yeah and yeah. and then that's extremely damaging and in fact a lot of australian wheat that isn't organic is sprayed with uh, with roundup and so many people that have been diagnosed as being uh, gluten intolerant, wheat intolerant, etc. They go to the European Union where this, this practice is banned, um, the, the spraying of wheat uh, in, in many cases, and uh, and then they find that they can have a piece of bread, um, you know, say in Germany or somewhere like that, and, and they think they cure it, and then they come back to Australia and they have one one piece of bread and they're they rushed off to hospital. So um, in many cases, it, it's leading to so many illnesses that people are not even aware of. Um, and then there's things like alcohol, which also has a huge destructive effect on our gut bacteria. And it was very saddening to see that alcohol sales have increased by seventy percent uh, during this lockdown here in Australia, and, uh, and and it's been linked to many cancers as well. Um, we know that smoking is harmful for us, but how many people know that red meat has been been linked to um, more lung cancer deaths than than smoking? A lot of people don't realize that. In fact, even the World Health Organization had to admit that uh, red meat um, is, uh, is an a, a incredibly high risk factor and sort a class two carcinogen. And then they had all processed meats, as a class one carcinogen right up there with uh, asbestos, uh, plutonium radiation uh, poisoning. And, uh, and and smoking, so um, you know it just just goes to, to show just how harmful these these things are. So um, you know people can do a lot to improve their uh, their health just by their dietary choices. And then there's also things that people can do to eliminate stress. When it comes to cancers, they have also found that stress plays a huge role. Stress also kills that healthy gut bacteria, and uh, and, th- and there's, there's many links between having certain gut bacteria die off and certain cancers. Yeah.
0: I feel if I can yeah. just chime in on that that a lot of people tend to underplay the significance of your stress and your mental state and I think I mean I've heard doctors uh like Shiva Iave, so I, I think it's Shiva I can't remember his name, but this uh, this guy that's quite prolific in um in on the on the YouTubes at the moment talking about how um and I've I've heard plenty of other doctors support this. In fact it's well established that your immune system, as you're saying, is weakened when you are in a state of stress and you it it's easy to see how all of the saturation um from the media in regards to all, all the stuff that 's going on all the fear all this- prepu- uh, perpetuation of um uh, uh so this uh this perpetual where you know we we all got to stay locked at home because of this threat obviously that 's having an effect on people 's stress levels and I feel like that's obviously that's con- uh, that's making the problem even worse, so it makes sense to yeah to watch what you expose yourself to i mean not just watch what you eat but watch um essentially what you eat in terms of information in terms of uh your company and uh yeah that's something i i feel like it doesn't get the same kind of um uh significance as as food when there's so much that you can do outside of not just what you're putting in your body but what you're what you're exposing yourself to to uh to strengthen your immune system and hopefully combat the diseases that you're exposed to
1: well, well, you're absolutely right. In fact, in uh, many hospitals in Japan, when they're treating people for cancer, they don't even tell them that they've got cancer because they know that the shock of that announcement for many, for many people can actually have a, a, a very disastrous effect and actually bring on a... a I an actually operation. like
0: that. That's the one thing about... I actually like... because I've experienced that myself, you know, and it's like I'd, I'd much rather someone just avoid telling me or at least save it for a time when I'm more able to deal with it, you know. There's nothing worse than getting the wrong kind of information when you're in the, in the, in the worst state. So um yeah simple things like that I think are important sometimes it, it is wise to deny yourself um exposure to certain things until you you're in a stronger state to deal with it because one of the things that I I I've heard about the way that your your immune system deals with um with with some of these problems is I, mean, I remember hearing David Ike talk about um the stage that your immune system's um s- like the different stages that your immune system has to deal with with threats and uh I guess one of the things that i I derive from this thing is that um fundamentally look your body has this innate immune system this ability to deal with shit and uh you you obviously want to strengthen it and it, it's best to to Rather than, rather than, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say you want to make yourself as strong as you can. You want to make sure that you don't deal with things if you're not in a in a in a strong state. Like, don't go and expose yourself to a, a difficult situation. If you if you're perhaps 70 years old and you're you're inclined to have multiple problems, then don't go expose yourself to difficult situations. But if you are someone that is being healthy, you're exposing yourself to the right kind of information. Uh, you're you're in a healthy state of mind. Then I don't see there. Any, being anything wrong with going outside and interacting with people and it's important to uh yeah to make sure that you're in a, in a stable state before you expose yourself to certain things because if you're not in a stable state that's when you really have to worry about what's to come you yeah
1: know? Look, uh, absolutely and, and you know um you know the, the fact that uh, our um, emotional state goes into a uh, fight or flight syndrome when we're in fear uh, is the same sort of um uh, mode that like we're attacked by a lion or a tiger. And, uh, and so what happens is all of the blood goes away from the brain and it goes mainly to the arms and legs and lungs so that we can run faster and maybe climb up a tree and run away from a, our predator. But when we're in that state uh, continuously, it, it's harmful because it generates uh, things like adrenaline mm. and uh, cortisol, which have been shown to, to increase cancer because they're so acidic and toxic. Um, and the body's not supposed to be in that mode for very long mm. it and doesn't help uh, your thinking also either. <laughs> Yeah, your immune system stops when you're in that fight or flight mode, mm-hmm. and the, it's the immune system that actually protects you from cancers, and from all of these other illnesses, inflammation. Uh, the other thing also is that um, your not only your immune system is down, your digestion system stops too. So you could have the healthiest food that you're eating, but if it ferments in your gut and becomes acidic and toxic and rancid, then it does more harm than good when you when you digest it in that situation. So. If you're going to be under stress, it's better you don't actually eat. And in fact, it's interesting that I remember, you know, reading uh, many years ago from one of the Herbert Shelton books on natural hygiene. And he was telling us the story of this lady who, um, who her uh, boyfriend uh, who was a fiance was uh, they were about to marry and she and he was supposed to he was on it was on a, a ship and it was supposed to dock you know from the navy and she hadn't heard of him uh, for three days and she was about to suicide and uh as she was about to jump the bridge the police apprehended her it's, it's illegal you know to, to suicide or was then anyway and so they they questioned her and they, they detained her and uh and they said well you know what what were you thinking you know uh, for you to do that and he said oh well you know told her the story and then it was interesting, they decided to track her fiance down. And he, he was being detained by the Navy because they had some emergency maintenance work and he was one of the maintenance crew. And so he wasn't able to, to be discharged at the time. And you know, so they, they reunited them and and everything. And at that stage, he, he spoke to her and said, Well, what were you, what have you been eating these last few days? She said, I, I ate nothing at all um, because I was under so much stress. And that's a, the natural body's response. Uh, when, you're, when you're in that kind of uh, mode to not eat. And the, one of the mistakes people do is that they have breakfast, lunch and dinner every single day, even when their body's not ready for it. And if you, if you do that, you do in many cases irreparable harm. You should listen to your body uh, truly. And when I say listen to the body, I'm not saying to listen to your bad gut bacteria that's craving that you eat some junk food or something. And that's not listening to your body, that's listening to uh, the out of balance part of your your, your, your system. But, but listen to your true self. And the best way to do that is to be in alignment with the, the, these health principles. If you know, drink plenty of water, eat healthy food that nourishes us, avoid food that has got preservatives and toxins that destroys your gut bacteria. And then once when you're in alignment um, and you, you also, your, uh, your ability to get depression, it diminishes dramatically. Did you know that when they put people on a healthy plant food diet and they did this with kids, that their depression improves about 50% just by changing diet alone. And then if they get vitamin D from the sunlight and exercise, it it can actually reverse depression by up to 70% of cases. It's extraordinary. They've also found that when you give someone a dose of antibiotics, their depression increases about 17% with the first round. And if you have a second round, up to 54% increase the depression because our gut bacteria is like our second brain. In fact, we we have a thing called a, a vagus nerve, which connects the brain to our intestines. And what's interesting is that uh, 90% of the information is from the intestines or our gut bacteria to our brain. And that surprises people. And in fact, there are as many neurotransmitters um, in, our, in our heart and in our intestines as there is in the brain. And, uh, and so the food we eat has a massive impact on that. And, um, and, and when you destroy healthy gut bacteria, you destroy your, your health as well. And, uh, and and your your mental state uh to a greater degree than people would would understand so when you improve your health generally all of these things improve and and being under under stress has so many harmful uh, effects when it comes to cancer uh, some of the, the studies i looked at actually showed that stressed people uh, uh, have um, way way more cancer than other people and it, it's probably the biggest factor you know uh, of all so yeah sure. it's, it's something that we should keep a positive mind wherever we can
0: well, thanks for sharing that, Mark. That's uh, that's something I hadn't really thought about in in that level of detail. Um, so, thank you, thank you, Mark. Um, so, Mark, sh- just to wind this thing down. Uh, in regards to the current situation, I mean, you were obviously given us some tools to to combat, uh, some more practical aspects of things. You know, your mental health, your your physical health as well. well what's your, what's your outlook here over over the next uh, weeks, months? Um, I mean, um, you've uh, you've obviously had some experience. Uh um just see, seeing things play out over the, over the years i mean what what are your thoughts uh do you have any predictions in regards to what's going on at the moment if we're going to see a full blown 1984 scenario or how how do you how do you see things playing out or what would you like to see playing out what would be your your message for australians and all people alike in regards to the well, pandemic
1: well you know d- despite the fact that our world is looking more like 1984 than ever before you know and it's interesting because normally when i'm overseas like, like I was in Italy a couple of years ago, and I come back, and people say, well, "What was it like, you know, being away for a couple of months?" You know, you're coming back to Australia. And I said, "Well, you know what? It, it was no different than when I left." But when I, when I arrived back in in Australia, and I had to go into 14-day quarantine. Soon as I, you know, I I, I came back into uh, Tullamarine Airport, I thought, "Well, it looks like I've been away for 20 years, and I've walked straight into a um, a 1984 dystopia." That's what it actually felt like, and. Uh, so, you know, if you, are you asking me what, uh, what what I see in the future? Well, look, in many ways, our future is in our own hands. If people can continue to comply to all of these uh, eros- erosions of freedom, there's dr- draconian measures that are being implemented on us. If we comply to these inhuman uh, things that they're doing, uh, especially locking up people who really need uh, a human interaction and, uh, and introducing social distancing for children that actually need interaction with other human beings and, and uh, uh, especially other uh, children of their own age and all this sort of thing, and they're doing all of these things that are harmful, um, you've really, really got to ask uh, the, the, the question, um, what sort of society are we, are we going to create um, unless we take action? Um, we want to have freedom of speech. That, that is something that we want to, um, to continue with, and it's really up to us to, uh, to fight for these things. And so we've really got to take action and uh, and wake up those that are are compliant uh, to this agenda. And in many ways, it's almost like uh, they're testing us to see how much you know we are putting up with. And at the moment, we're putting up with a lot. And they think, okay, well maybe we'll just turn it up a few more degrees. You know, That's so it's like the problem. old, uh, you know, it's it's like the old frog in boiling water kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a terrible. I'm, I'm a, being a vegan, I'm totally against all uh, animal experiments and, and so boiling forth. Boiling frogs,
0: but, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> I, I see the analogy there.
1: no I know about that. That you know, you put a frog in in warm water, it stays in there, it's nice and comfortable. And you keep increasing the temperature. Eventually, uh, he'll boil to death. Won't uh, won't realize the temperature's got so hot that uh, uh, that it's it's actually killing the frog. But you put him into boiling water immediately, he'll jump straight out because it, And and what's happening to us is that is that thing. It, with this, you mentioned this tiptoe uh uh the, the to- tip-toe. whatever yeah. it was um well this is another another example of it it's uh that's what's happening to us at the moment it, they're increasing the, the the temperature bit by bit and yet people are like the frog in the boiling water they're just staying there and not jumping out
0: and absolutely
1: there's to be a point where you know you don't want to be boiled to death you want to you want to jump out before then and uh and i think the time is now we've really got to start you know putting our priorities in order, and let's focus on what's really important, and discard everything that's not important, and really, really focus on that. And ultimately, the future is in our hands because there's many of us, and uh, and together we, we have a, a lot of uh, a lot of power and in- influence. But uh, when we're we're, we're not uh, exercising our own power and we give it away needlessly um, to uh, to the authorities who are often making decisions not in our interest, then know we unfortunately get the outcomes that we deserve so the future is in our own hands and uh, i hope if anything that you know people get inspired to take action to do their own research to to educate others and and yes it may involve you know being in difficult situations where you're having a conversation that's unpleasant with somebody but they're conversations we need to have and you know you need to be intelligent in how you choose to uh, share information and what information someone is willing to accept Um, So that you can actually help in this growth process of us learning from this experience. And and I think if we do that, then we will come out of this in in better shape. And and so uh, I'm always optimistic because, you know, all all of my endeavours and actions are always focused on what we've got control over as opposed to what we don't have control over. And I think if we all will follow that, uh, we can turn this thing around uh, uh, very soon.
0: Mark, that is a powerful message. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, it's definitely inspired me. And uh, thank you for coming on this podcast. Uh, Mark, I always look forward to my conversations with you. You're so open-minded and so insightful, and it, it's, it's really inspiring to see someone like yourself, um, so full of knowledge that's willing to, to take up your uh, to, to be generous with your time and, and share this kind of information. I, I've been noticing you've been doing a lot of talks lately. And uh, it's, I think we need more people like yourself out there sharing this message and having these uncomfortable conversations and doing it the right way. I've noticed you're, you're very optimistic, very inspiring, and I think that kind of attitude is, um, is the way to go about this because you're far more inclined to, uh, to win people over. What, what do they say? You catch more, um, more, more flies with honey, that kind of thing. So, Mark, uh, I think you're the personification of that, and I, I salute what you're doing. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. This is this is the second time, and I, I know I, I always hear great stuff um, from people when they listen to your, your information. So looking forward to putting this out there. Uh, I'll be sure to share your – any. I mean, I know you shared all the links there to the information, but if there are any other uh, – I know a lot of people are going to have questions, so I'll be sure to send some links to um, some of the, the arguments you made. If you can send me some, uh, some links, I'll be sure to put them up, and I'll put your details on here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get in contact with Mark Don- Donadue, uh we'll put his details on. Mark, do you want to just uh, share your, your contacts just to, to end up the, the podcast?
1: So my, my email address is uh, Mark, M-A-R-K, full stop, donadu d o n e w d u at gmail.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, Mark, thanks once again for coming on the Crucial Journey podcast. It's been an Absolute pleasure to have you on here. You're a scholar, a gentleman, and I appreciate your your activism immensely and the knowledge you're disseminating. I uh, look forward to, uh, to speaking to you again. Uh, obviously, it might be some time before we get to do this face-to-face, but um, fortunately, due to the wonders of technology, we can make this thing happen. Thanks again, Mark.
1: All right, thanks so much. Thanks. thanks, Krishna. Thanks.
0: Have a good one. Take care. I'll speak to you soon.
1: All right. See you.
0: All right, all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mark Donadue. That was an amazing podcast. Really got to cover quite a lot of topics there. We discussed, uh, obviously, the coronavirus, uh, the whole issue in regards to the government uh, eroding our freedoms. We discussed the vaccines. We discussed a whole bunch of agendas there. Ladies and gentlemen, be sure to share this video if you enjoy this podcast. I'm going to be doing a lot more of these. Uh, Be sure to give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Uh, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about what's going on at the moment. Whether you're in Australia or Venezuela, Africa, it doesn't matter. I want to I hear what your thoughts are about this. And let's, uh, let's all try to work together. Um, because, look, there's a lot more of us than there are of them. When I say them, I'm referring to the government. I'm referring to people that want to take away our liberties and try to control what we do with our life. One of the things that I've always stood for is freedom. I believe that ultimately we all have the, the right to make decisions for ourselves. And it saddens me that we're in this situation. And as Mark alluded to, it's like this, uh, this, this case of the frog in boiling water. We're seeing our freedoms been eroded. And it's all under this guise of, oh, let's all work together. This is all necessary. We're all one. And ultimately, we're reaching a point where we don't have any personal autonomy, any freedoms. We're all treated like children now because we're trying to overcome the boogeyman. And regardless of whether or not you believe that this virus is dangerous or whether or not you don't think it's a thing, I mean, I think the real issue here is freedom. Freedom to choose how you live your life, freedom to choose what you put into your body, freedom to interact with people. And these, these things, which are the cornerstone of Western civilization, are slowly being eroded. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's wake up. Let's uh, let's unite and uh, let's uh, let's peacefully try to overcome this. Um, and if that doesn't work, um, as JFK once said, "Those that make uh, I paraphrase, but peaceful protests in impossible <laughs> make violent revolution inevitable." Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, freaks and geeks, peace out. Keep it real. This is your boy Chris Juhl. Until next time. Ow! The battle was over before the game was done Now if you think that i won't let you run My body, my heart, and my mind Then you better listen, son Oh, you think you're inviolable Yeah, you act like an angel Then you're gonna soar like a bird Be unimpossible I think it's plain to see You know you're meant to be Once, once, two, once, of two what is liberty? What the? You said you can't feel <laughs> muscle on a vegan diet. What's it like being a, a hottie in the vegan community? Are vegan guys better? Yeah. Oh, yes.
1: The economics of the system don't allow multiple competing systems to survive. Engineering, technology, these arts of humanity, they are magic.